Jill was born in Denver, Colorado, and then they'd gone to the Bear Valley School of Preaching. He's preached in a number of different places. Um, see where he got Texas, Oklahoma, Illinois, Kansas, Missouri. And he's in his 10th year at uh, Justin. Uh, our paths have crossed probably some 30 years ago. And uh, places where he was at, uh, we were, sometimes we were in the same location. We used to attend a number of preacher meetings together. And then we'd get separated and lose track for a while. And then we'd come back in contact with each other. And it's always been a pleasure to know Joe and his stand for the truth, his willingness to preach it. And we encourage you to listen attentively to what he has to say about running this Christian race as a volunteer. And do remind yourself you have volunteered to listen to the lesson. Thank you very much, David, and good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you this evening. I appreciate the invitation to be here. I appreciate the hospitality that has been shown to me by David and Pat this evening in uh, taking me to supper. Enjoyed that very much. Now we're going to have a different kind of a feast. Uh, we're going to see if we can say some things that will help us in regard to running the race as a volunteer. And I'm going to compete right along with the thunder that's rolling. Uh, you just stay with me, and, and I'll do my best to uh, uh, say some things that will be helpful for us here. Let me ask you something as we begin. How many of you know what state in the United States is known as the volunteer state? That would be Tennessee, wouldn't it? The volunteer state. You know, Tennessee got that name. Uh, first of all, due to the War of 1812, when there were a lot of Tennesseans that were in the Battle of New Orleans, then they kind of cemented their right to call themselves the Volunteer State about three decades or a little more later. Uh, during the Mexican War, uh, the Secretary of State requested 2,800 Tennesseans to step up and, and go to war. 30,000 responded. So Tennessee is definitely the volunteer state. Think about this with me. Wouldn't it be fantastic if members of the body of Christ would be as zealous and as willing to volunteer to go to the spiritual battle in which we are engaged as the people of Tennessee were to volunteer to go and fight in two different wars. We are in a spiritual war. Now, I realize that you're doing a different metaphor for uh, the summer series that you're having. You're talking about the metaphor of a race, and that's biblical as well. Uh, but keep in mind that basically we're talking about the same thing. We need to be willing to run that race, not because somebody's twisting our arm and telling us we have to, not just because we're afraid we're going to go to hell if we don't. That might be true. But nevertheless, I would like for us to have a, a more noble motive than that. I want us to have the motive that will help us to run the race as a volunteer. In the 110th Psalm, this is one of David's psalms. 
And he prophesied that Messiah's people would be volunteers. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Now, the way we know that that is a messianic psalm is the fact that Jesus quoted the first verse of it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And he applied that to himself. And so this is definitely a messianic psalm. And David prophesied then that in the days of Messiah, which is now, that God's people, Jesus' people, Messiah's people, would be volunteers in the day of his power. But really, that's nothing new if you get to thinking about it. God has always desired that his people serve him and worship him, not because they're being coerced to do so, but because they're volunteers, because they want to do so. And so let's consider some Old Testament examples. And the first of those will come from the book of Judges, chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, this has to do with Deborah's song, which Deborah, the judge, uh, sang and, and evidently wrote the song and was the singer of the song as well. And she said, when the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Now, the event there was a victory over Jabin, the king of Canaan. And after that victory, Deborah wrote this song. When the leaders lead in Israel and the people willingly, look at that word, willingly offer themselves. Not when they have their arm twisted to serve because they have to, but when they willingly offer themselves. Then praise the Lord or bless the Lord. And in the ninth verse of that song, she says, My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. So you'll notice in the first one, the first line uh, that we read, which was in verse 2, it said, When the people willingly offer themselves. Then in verse 9, The rulers willingly offered themselves. So it isn't an either or, it's a both and, isn't it? It's the people and the rulers. And so the leaders, the rulers, need to be the ones out in front leading the way. Isn't that why we call them leaders? I, I think it is. That's what makes sense to me anyway. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer necessarily, but that makes sense to me. That leaders are supposed to lead. And then the people... Follow the lead of the leaders. And in this case, both of them willingly offered themselves. Then let's look at another example. This is during the time of good King Jehoshaphat. Good King Jehoshaphat had a general in his army by the name of Amasiah, the son of Zichri, who the text says willingly offered himself to the Lord and with him, look at this, 200,000 men of valor. That's a big army. And that's probably only one division of the army. But he offered himself willingly. It doesn't say the king told him, I'm going to have you executed if you don't do this. No, he did this because he wanted to. He was a volunteer. He offered himself willingly 
to the Lord. And with him, those 200,000 mighty men of valor. What marvelous examples these men are. Whether it be the leaders in Israel during the time of Deborah the judge, or whether it be this Amasiah the son of Zichri, uh, the general of good king Jehoshaphat. Marvelous examples for us to follow of people who served willingly, served as volunteers. Then I want us also to see in other matters besides battles in a war. What about when it's time to serve God with offerings? In the Old Testament, we see all throughout Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy the mention of free will offerings. And so in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6, there is a warning not to worship at pagan shrines. There were just pagan shrines all over uh, the land that Israel was going to inherit. And the book says, don't worship at those shrines, but rather here's what you do. You shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go, and there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings uh, of your hand, your vowed offerings. And then there's those free will offerings. Now, a free will offering was exactly what it sounds like. It was an offering that wasn't made because somebody said, you have to do this or you're going to be in trouble. It was an offering that was made because they wanted to. They loved God. They wanted to do this as their way of worshiping God and giving him praise and giving him honor and glory. And so they made these free will offerings. Uh, There was also a time when... The tabernacle was going to be built as Israel had come out of Egyptian slavery. And they were there uh, in the wilderness on their way to Sinai. And then they got to Sinai and God started revealing his law and his will for them. And one of the things he wanted them to do was to build a tabernacle. It was a tent-like structure and it would be used to worship the Lord and to offer sacrifices to him. And so what are we going to use? Where are we going to get the material? It's going to take gold and silver and wood and all sorts of other material to build this structure. How are we going to get that? Exodus chapter 25, verse 2, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offerings. And so once again, God wanted his people to offer to him their goods that would be used in the construction of the tabernacle, not because they felt coerced, not because he was going to destroy them if they didn't, but he wanted them to do that out of the goodness of their hearts, out of their willingness, because they loved him and they wanted to offer these sacrifices. Uh, and so the, the, these offerings were made willingly, and it's important for us to understand that. Now, after the children of Israel crossed the Jordan and inherited the promised land, the time came for the tabernacle to be replaced 
uh, with the temple. And I'll get to that in a minute. I need to make one more thing here. The material that, that Israel gave for the tabernacle uh, in Exodus chapter 35 and verse 7, uh, Moses had to say, whoa, wait, don't bring any more. We've got more than we can use right now. And, and so, so don't bring any more. Elders, would you like to have that problem? Got so much, we don't know what to do with it. We, we don't need this much. I, I've never known of that happening uh, in the church, but it happened out there in the wilderness. And so for all the material they had, it says, was sufficient for the work to be done, indeed too much. All right, so they gave willingly, and they gave obviously very generously. And now we'll talk about the temple. Uh, as David was preparing uh, for his own death and for his son Solomon then to be the one who would actually build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 6 says, Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, captains of thousands of hundreds, and with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. Uh, I keep coming back to that word willingly because we're talking about running the race as volunteers. And that's what these people were. They were volunteers. They didn't have to be told, well, you must do this or you'll be in trouble. God will be angry with you. They did this because they wanted to. They did this because they loved the Lord and they were volunteering uh, to do these things. Uh, and after the offerings were made, King David had this to say. And all those who are around them, excuse me, I need to go back one, one step here. Okay, that's not what I wanted. Uh, let me just tell you what this says, uh, since it's not going to come up here on the screen. And this is First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. So again, you notice the word willingly. And David was thrilled, not only that the people had offered, but that they were able to do so, and that was a gift of God's grace, and that they did so with a willing heart. Out of their own voluntary spirit, they did these things. Now, you know, of course, uh, that in the passage of time, uh, God's people went astray, and God allowed their enemies to overtake them and eventually to carry them away into captivity. And so King Nebuchadnezzar came for the third time. He came two other times to uh, discipline the people of Judah and try to get them to straighten up and serve him as they had pledged to do. The third time he came and utterly destroyed the city, including Solomon's temple. And so after a 70-year period of captivity, uh, under the rule of Cyrus the Persian, Cyrus made an edict that basically said, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, all the captive people that want to can go back to their native land. It wasn't only the people of Judah that could do that, but, but they're the ones that we're concerned with tonight. And so under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel, uh, quite a group of people 
returned to the homeland, returned to Jerusalem, and they set out to rebuild the Lord's temple. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with precious things, besides all that was freely offered. Again, notice that, freely offered. Not all that was taken by some taxation, not by coercion, not that it was stolen, not anything else in the world, but that they wanted to do this. These things were freely offered. Uh, and under the leadership of Ezra, there was another smaller return of the captives from their captivity uh, there in Babylon. And they came back, and here's what the king at that time, uh, King Artaxerxes, said. You are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered. So there was silver and gold given not by God's own people, but by a pagan king. And even he was willing to do this. Now this king did not know the one true and living God. He probably looked at the God of the Jews as being just one of many gods, uh, and probably was thinking to himself, well, I, I need the, the favor of all the various and sundry gods of all the various and sundry nations, and I want to, to not offend anyone. And so he was perfectly willing to give silver and gold. He and his counselors did that. And my question is, if a pagan king has sense enough to be a volunteer, and to say, I'm going to give these things to the God of Israel, and I'm going to do it willingly. Ought not we, who know God, who love Him, I hope, I'm going to presume that we are all people who love God. If a pagan king is willing to give, ought we not to be willing to give and to give generously? Not because the preacher said we should, not because the elders are going to be mad at me if I don't, but because I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I want to do this. I'm going to be a volunteer. There's one more example from the Old Testament that I want to look at, and then we'll get to the new. And that is, as we said, God's people were inclined to go astray. And, man, they did. If you would turn with me in your Bible to the first chapter of Isaiah, I think it would be helpful for you to see this uh, for yourself. In Isaiah chapter 1, the first 15 verses lay out God's charges against his people. Here's what he says. Let's begin reading, actually, in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. And on it goes through the remainder of that text, clear through verse number 15. 
where he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So there are the charges God lays against his people. And then in verses 16 and 17, he tells how they can correct this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doing from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the followers. Plead for the widow. Okay, so there's the things that they weren't doing, that they needed to start doing. Instead of misbehaving and acting like heathens, they needed to straighten up their act, and he tells them how in these two verses. And then in verse 18, he extends the offer for forgiveness. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Thank God he is forgiving. He doesn't want to destroy his people. Even though they are sinful, he wants them to turn so that he can forgive them. And he's willing to do that. And then we read verse 19, which is the point that I want us to see this evening. If you are willing, we've seen that word before, haven't we? If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. God has never been satisfied with rote obedience. I'm just going to do this because, well, because I'm going to do it. Because I have to. Because that's what we do. No, God wants obedience from the heart. Always has, always will. I don't know about you, but I used to hear from members of the body of Christ that ought to know better. Well, under the Old Testament, all you had to do was obey. It didn't matter if your heart was in it or not. As long as you obeyed, everything's good. No, a thousand times no. If that passage right there in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19 was the only one in all of Holy Scripture that said what it says, that would be enough to say no, that's not the case. God has always wanted the heart. But the prophets, the, the other prophets other than Isaiah, jumped all over that. God has always wanted the loyalty of his people from their hearts. Now, obedience is important. But God is pleased with heartfelt obedience. And so when we talk about them being restored from this apostasy into which they had gone, God conditioned that on if you are willing and obedient. Not just if you're obedient, but if you're willing and obedient. Let's talk about being volunteers for Jesus. You know, we choose to follow Jesus because we want to. Not because someone is twisting our arm and compelling us against our will. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone... There's that word again. Anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, day, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Desires to come after me. In the first place, you're not likely to come after Jesus unless you want to. 
But someone, I suppose, might be coerced, compelled, arm-twisted into doing that, and the Lord is not going to accept that. If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Likewise, at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's there. God isn't going to force it on us. God isn't going to force his will upon us. I will grant you that if we do not do his will, we will suffer the consequences, and those consequences are not pretty. But nevertheless, God desires and indeed requires that we do this as volunteers because we want to, not just because we are compelled somehow or think that we have to. Uh, That has always been the case. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Though you were slaves of sin, talking about before you came to Christ, you were a slave of sin. Do you realize that? Well, I wasn't a slave. I wasn't that bad. Yes, you were. You were a slave of sin before you came to Christ. Yet, Paul says, you obeyed how? From the heart. You obeyed from the heart that form, that pattern of doctrine to which you were delivered. And being made free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. So that obedience from the heart, we see, is just exactly the way Jesus described it. If anyone desires to come after me, if, it's, if that's what's in your heart, then deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. That holds true as well when it comes to the matter of money. That was true under the Old Testament. Remember how they gave so generously? Moses had to say, whoa, whoa, stop. Don't give any more. Got more than we can use now. Same way under David getting ready to have uh, Solomon build the temple after David was gone. Generous giving, much, much material that was freely given because they wanted to. And so here, what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that the Apostle Paul has organized a collection, the proceeds of which he is going to take to Jerusalem, and it will be distributed to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. There's something going on in Jerusalem, perhaps a famine, uh, perhaps persecution, perhaps a combination of several things. Whatever it is, they're needy. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, you need to help with this. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, upon the first day of the week, Lay by in store each one as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul was going to come and take that collection that they had put together and take it along with uh, the contributions from other congregations that he had helped to establish, primarily Gentile congregations, and that was a brilliant maneuver uh, to cement the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in Christ. But that's another story for another time. Here's what he says to the Corinthians. It's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were, watch that word, desiring to do a year ago, 
But now you may, must also complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be a completion out of, of it, out of what you have. For if there's first a willing mind, there it is again, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. And then we move on into the ninth chapter, still dealing with the same subject. He says, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift before him. Let me stop right there just long enough to say this. Regardless of the amount, okay, regardless of the amount, if giving is not from the heart, it is not generous. You might say, well, wait a minute. This, this guy gave $10 million and I, I could only give $1. If he wasn't willing to give that $10 million, it's not generous. The very word generous indicates a willingness. And we see that as we continue to read. He said it might be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a matter of grudging obligation. So he contrasts those two. It's either generous or it's a grudging obligation. It cannot be both. If one gives simply because, oh, I guess I have to. I don't really want to, but okay, I will. That's not generosity. It just isn't, no matter what the amount might be. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That sounds like volunteer to me, doesn't it to you? Purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. Now you can't be cheerful if you're unwilling to do something. That those two just don't mix. They, they don't mix at all. Uh, and so let's realize that even in our giving, it is to be as volunteers. It's to be from the heart. It's to be generous. It's to be from a willing mind. All of those things so important for us to remember. And then let's also realize that as volunteers for Jesus, we need to live and behave in a way that glorifies God, not because we're afraid we're going to go to hell if we don't. Again, that may be true, but I want us to have a more noble motive than that. Let's do that because we wouldn't have it any other way. We want to glorify God. We want to love Him and please Him and do what His will is. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Pray for us for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. We need to live honorably as the Hebrews writer said. Because we desire to do so. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we see there that we need to desire to live godly even if it results in persecution coming upon us. We are so fortunate in this country that we don't have the kind of persecution that we read about 
in the Bible in the first century, or even in the headlines of the newspapers that's going on in other countries. There are people who are believers in Jesus who are dying because they will not renounce him. That is so foreign to my thinking, I can't even comprehend that. I have never even been threatened with death or even physical injury of some kind uh, because I'm a Christian. But that is commonplace in other parts of the world, and it was commonplace for the first century disciples. They had to face that. And so Paul gives that warning to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let me ask you this question. Why should elders have to beg for volunteers when something needs done? Why does that happen? I really don't know. Maybe it was providential this evening that we sang that song. Here am I. Send me. Where are the Isaiahs? God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, there's Micah, send him. Oh, that's not what he said, is it? No. He said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah, the volunteer. Where is that spirit among us today? Do you all have a church directory, David? When you all get home, look in your church directory and look under the letter S. And no, you're not looking for Slater. I'm, I'm not in there. You're looking for someone else. See if someone else is a member here. I've told the brethren at Justin until they're tired of hearing it. We don't have anybody named someone else in our congregation. If the job is going to be done, you and I are going to be the ones doing it. Because somebody else isn't a member here. And you might look under E, you know, like Slater, comma, Joe, else, comma, someone. You don't have anybody that name either. I almost guarantee it. You don't have anybody here named someone else. So forget this idea that someone else will do it. Be a volunteer. Be a volunteer. Run the race as a volunteer. Over 45 years ago, the United States of America stopped drafting people into military service. And since then, we have had an all-volunteer military. And I'm glad for that. I hope that it never becomes necessary for us to reinstate the draft. But people have never been drafted by God. You might say, well, wait a minute. God called the prophets. Yes, he did, but he didn't draft them. Every one of them had a choice. Remember when God called Moses? Moses did his level best to get out of it, didn't he? He made excuse after excuse after excuse. Here's why I'm not the one that should do this, Lord. And finally, he just went. He, he gave in. He agreed to do what God sent him to do. But he was not drafted. Moses could have walked away. God would not have been pleased. But he could have done it. I hope that we understand 
that we are called as well. We're called today by the gospel. God doesn't call us individually, specifically, verbally, audibly, as he called Moses and as he called Jeremiah and he's called Isaiah and, and many others that we can mention. But he calls us through the gospel, through his word. And we can either accept that call or we can reject it. We can either be a volunteer or we can say, no, I'm not going to do it. My plea for you tonight is that if you have never obeyed the gospel, if you have never obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were delivered so that you'll be made free from sin and become a slave of righteousness, if you've not done that, tonight is your night. If as a child of God you haven't been volunteering, you've been counting on that non-existent person Somebody else. Somebody else will do it. Folks, there is no somebody else. We are the ones. If the job is going to be done, it's up to us. And so I sincerely hope that you will volunteer, that you will do the Lord's will, not because you feel pressured and coerced, but because you wouldn't have it any other way. If tonight you're subject to the gospel invitation... Come as we're standing and as we sing to encourage you.